Greetings, true believers, and welcome to episode 51 of the Polis Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me is the one and only, the amazing Hexor. How's it going this week, Hector? Oh, it's Excelsior. Got a wonderful show for you today. Uh, we're going to hit all the latest news that you need to know. Our pull recommendations from, well, uh, the past two or three weeks because we had an interview the last time around. So we got some comics to catch up on. Our favorite new number ones and so much more. This is the Pull List Podcast. So strap yourselves and prepare yourselves for we've got comic sign. Uh, better put the word out. Get ready for the nerd out. Better put specs on. Uh, so over to our wonderfully high-tech newsroom, which is basically the 3 by 3 cubicle that I sit in here in downtown Lovey, Columbus, Georgia. And right up off the top, we need to talk about Marvel making some significant changes to their distribution, which we actually alluded to in our last episode of... Penguin Random House is becoming basically their primary go-to instead of Diamond. Now, they're going to have an overlap with Diamond and potentially still do some of their bigger trades and stuff like that through the warehouse and everything. But basically, kind of like DC did, Marvel is taking their toys and going to someone else to distribute comics. So what does that mean? Unlike DC when they announced Lunar and some of their other options where everyone was kind of confused by what was actually going on, Penguin Random House deserves a little bit of credit. They've actually been really proactive. It's like they might have watched another company do this and know what to do differently. So weird. Um, And I need to find it, but I know that there's a 52-question question FAQ for shop owners on stuff that's going to change, but it looks like a lot of things are going to be streamlined. It's going to be a little easier. Some things are still being answered. So it's a little early for us to kind of pick apart um, this deal, but changes are coming. So we're not sure how that's going to impact some of the smaller shops. Like when DC made their change uh, recently, there's been some issues with the thresh- the minimum thresholds have been kind of high, at least on the DC side. So some shops are waiting to see where Marvel's going to land to see if there are going to be issues because Hector and I know that we have friends out there. We've heard some of you tell us that your shop doesn't get DC books until a week out because of that cutoff and them having to order differently. So here's us just having to wait to see what happens in that particular thing. So it's interesting to say the least, but we'll try to keep you up to date on all that good stuff. So Hector... I know this is the type of news that also excites you. I want to tell you about some new Marvel books. New Marvel books, you say? Tell me more. Yes. Well, if you're not getting enough <laughs> X-Men titles currently... You know, that's that's normally my comic book deficiency, is that I can't find enough X-Men titles. Three more are coming um, over the next couple months. Hickman is writing one of the three again, and it's currently a title redacted book, so we don't quite know where it's going to fall. But I think I did the math. It's somewhere between 9 and 11 ongoing X-Men titles, I believe, by the end of this year. So for you X-Men fans, this is probably good news, as Hickman is writing more of the line. And when he has interjected himself into the current X-Men stuff, and I think this entire thing is actually being called The Reign of X. So you've got you've had your X of Swords, you've had, you know, we're getting the Hellfire Gala and all that other stuff. So X-Men people are probably fairly excited because there is an unbelievable amount of X-Men titles. But for me personally, I think I've shared my my disdain towards Marvel when they're like, here's a really good book. Now here are nine other titles you need to read on a monthly basis to keep up. And it's like my wallet just goes, No, why? Um So, yeah, but it just depends where you land on the thing. I, for one, still root for good X titles. So I'm hoping when Hickman jumps back in the line that I will probably jump back in there and see what's going on. So, yeah, there you go. More X-Men titles. Does that include the one of the way of the X, like the one about their fate? Um, I don't think that actually was on the list of the stuff that I did because it also doesn't include any of the Peach Momoko um, 
one shots that have kind of been out there and all that. So there's this current list is Reign of X, which is Children of the Atom. Wait, did you say Way of the X? Yeah, I think Way of the X. Okay, that is listed here. That's the okay. one that comes next. That's the one of Nightcrawler establishing a mutant religion. Oh, right. He did say that. Spoilers, sort of, kind of, not really. Um, X-Corp, which we mentioned a few episodes ago, which is, you know, the X-Men going corporate, which they kind of already are, but there they go. Um, the Hellfire Gala stuff, which is coming, and then... There's three kind of mixed books that are the new titles that are coming that they are obviously going to kind of introduce us to as we go along. So, okay. There's a lot of X stuff going on and Nightcrawler starting a religion. So there's not a lack of different things going on in the X universe. Some of our other news, this one actually is just fun um, because I'm always curious what the older first books of stuff go for, but... Forever in a day, one of the most sought after and record setting books in terms of cost is Action Comics number one, also known as the first appearance of Superman, right? And one went up to auction again in this past week. And I think previously, Action number one had sold for somewhere around 1.5 million, if I remember. Well, it set a new record this week. Selling at auction for $3.25 million. Right? Now, just to let all of you know that all those 90s books you have in your closet, there's no amount of time that is going to cross that those books will ever become worth a couple million dollars. Sorry, fam. <laughs> um, but it is fascinating to see books that, I mean, granted, that book is over 80 years old. And I need to double check to see what condition it was in. But that's just amazing to me that Soups is still going to – is going to forever and always just draw that that huge ticket. Mind-blowing. I wish I had comics that were like that. I don't. I've never even seen one. I know I've seen the first appearance of Batman and I've held that one. I've held um, a first Spidey show, so the Amazing Fantasy. I've seen one of those. You, those I'm starting to see a lot of lately, actually, which is interesting, but they're not cheap. They are not millions of dollars, but they are still tens of thousands of dollars in decent shape. But I'm even now, like the first appearance of Miles Morales is going for like 10 to 14 grand. Wow. Actually, I want, I'm going to go look at that now because I'm kind of curious because I hadn't seen it jump that much in recent years. If It may be four, but I'm pretty sure it was 14 because it was a... Lyle Pollard and the guy from Kessel Run were chit-chatting about it. I happened to be there. I, I went to a comic book shop with a comic book artist just to, you know, do my thing. You know, it was like watching an episode of American Pickers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where you're like, no, no, no. It's 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 uh, mothballed gold instead of rusty gold. This is actually interesting. As I was going through a lot of my news, I'm trying to find the stuff for folks that leans a little more heavily on industry insider versus, you know, comic book news, because we're going to talk about that when we talk about our, our books and everything. So that, that's why I talk about stuff going on in the industry or just things of interest. And one of the things that caught my attention is one of the growing blind spots in comic publishing has always been the young adult area, that there's been a handful of companies that have done extremely well with separate imprints for young adult and there have been others that are still trying to figure it out. Like Marvel, as they kind of try to market theirs as that is their target audience. Um, but books historically tend to have a slightly different vibe uh, in that space. And Aftershock Comics, who usually sits kind of on the horror suspense type um, stories, announced a young adult imprint seismic uh this past week which i appreciate the name branding of that that's cute it's even better when companies do that because like boom has kaboom um Aww. for some of the your their younger stuff yeah you never knows that 
It's funny. Well, I, I noticed it after I bought something I thought was a grown-up book, and it wasn't. Yeah, so d- save it for the podcast because that book's on my list this week. Oh, no, it's not the same one. Oh, it's a different one? Oh, that's still cool. There's a bunch it's of books the, that actually fall in that. It was the one that uh was the follow-up to, uh what was that book that I liked about the youth pastor and the Satan worshiper? Oh, shoot. Yeah, you're right. That was a like, kaboom? That's funny. No, no, no. That one was a boom, but the same artist and writing team dropped one right after that. That was a kaboom, and I didn't realize it until I picked it up. Expanding your your horizons into different stuff. So it looks like kind of a – I wanted to look at it again because I think they gave at least one title they were going to do. Oh, yeah, Rainbow Bridge. And Steve Orlando's writing it, which Orlando's done a lot of work at – um, Aftershock, and it kind of has a fantasy slash sci-fi kind of vibe to it, but I bet you it's going to have a little bit of that. It's going to have a little edge to it. I have to imagine so, because a lot of the stuff that they produce always has. So I'm color me kind of curious where, where that whole thing's going to go, because like I said, young adult continues to be kind of just a space that folks are still trying to define in comics that in novels, We've done really good for the last two plus decades and comics just haven't quite found its footing in that space yet. So I'm always for organizations stepping into that space and trying to figure it out for themselves and hope that it sticks because there are so many great stories that can be told. Young adult novels have literally changed the landscape of what blockbusters look like because a lot of times adult novels aren't accessible. And they take themselves too seriously. In a young adult novel, you can either take it too dark or too kiddie, but there's usually an onboard. And if we get that way for comics, because that's that's one of the struggles when you're dealing with dropping major motion pictures and stuff that kids and teens get interested in, is there's not something for them to pick up. Like DC did like this whole broody teen uh, graphic novel vibe over the last couple of years, and my daughter loves them. And, like, there's been, you know, some questionable things and some things I'm like, oh, you know what? She'll literally come and like, hey, I've crossed this bridge. Do I need to turn around? And I'm like, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, but no, as, as long as you're comfortable with it. And so, but it's been, a, it's been a good ride. So it'd be good to see what actually comes from that, from uh, Aftershock. Yeah. And them applying some of their really solid creative teams in doing so that I think that is to your point where DC did really well. And DC about two years ago went all in on that space going, yup, we suck at this. So we're throwing editors and effort at it and came out with that entire series. And it was graphic novels and some novelization that they did as well. Yeah. Um, We have some of the novelization as well. I also really appreciated the uh, DC superhero girls animated stuff. Mm -hmm. The fact that they went through like, four different iterations, art styles, creative teams, and things like that, because my kids actually had constant content. And, you know, we're seeing Invincible hitting Amazon and the the boom that's coming with that, that, uh, you know, if we actually had some young adult animated stuff from these properties, I think that's a win as well. Right. No, I think that's that's huge. And that a lot of the market has been targeted towards the adult crowd for so long um, that, yeah, you got to have a place to onboard people into any hobby and it needs to be accessible. So yeah, always going to support when organizations want to wander into this space and actually do something. So yeah, I, I will read it. I will read it. Um, we will probably read it. That That's probably how that's going to play out. <laughs> probably. And we'll let, let you know what we think. Um, because honestly, in my polls this week, I, two of my four books are leaning into this space and I'm not going to apologize for it because they were fun, but we'll get to that in a little bit. For my final news, I just said that we talk about deep industry stuff and not always like the new things. Well, guess what? I'm going to anyway, because one of my favorite um, Marvel properties is about to return that they're going to do a comic book arc of Moon Knight starting in July so that they can have something in print leading up to the show on Disney+. Plus. So I'm kind of hoping that it's not just a marketing flash because Marvel has done this a lot this year with a lot of their other MCU-adjacent properties or stuff they have movies coming out for. 
um, that most of them unfortunately weren't very good. And that depresses me. Um, but I really enjoy Moon Knight. And supposedly what they're doing is it actually is going to be a bit of a continuation out of the Avengers arc that happened a while back that we talked about. So depending where they land in starting that is going to make it a love or a hate for me personally. Um, but supposedly that's the setup to the book. And we should be seeing it land in around July. Though the McNiven cover that they've shown of it is amazing. And that'll be in the show notes so you can look at it in all of its glorious Moon Knightness. That It looks a lot like Finch's Moon Knight, which is one of my favorite versions. Uh, current Black Cat writer McKay is going to write it and uh, current Power Rangers artist. So that should actually be pretty cool. What? No love for the Moon Knight? I don't personally feel like I have enough. <laughs> um, I don't have enough skin in the game to have a commentary on Moon Knight at this stage. That's fair. Um, like the most I've got is that one meme of let's get this bread. Like <laughs> past that, I don't have a lot of. Moon Knight. I've not invested the way you have, and I've like, I can't tell you the last intentional Moon Knight stuff I've put time into. It's been a while since you've had any. To be fair, most of it is pretty old, um, which isn't bad. But I mean, no, the most recent long running run would have been Jeff Lemire's run into its completion two years ago, three years ago now, um, which was good. Because it was really, it was visceral and really kind of weird even for Moon Knight. Because Moon Knight's kind of the Batman foil of he punches a lot of his problems in the face really hard. Um, but has the idiosyncrasy of he also has three other personalities in his head at any given yeah. moment. It's Firestorm and Batman. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, and it's just wild. The other personalities that are present because his main one is that he was a soldier and everything but then he has like a taxi driver and like other normal people kind of bouncing around in there but they all have their specialties and part of the Lemire run was him learning how to call upon those because the long-standing Moon Knight thing is you kind of didn't know when those were going to take over and in recent time he's actually Mark Spector the has been figuring out how to channel them on demand, which makes him an interesting character to say the least. But he can also be thrown down that hole of losing control. So I don't know. It's an interesting character to me because of that. Um, and he does punch things very hard and talks to himself a lot. I don't know. It's it's an edgier Deadpool? Really? I mean... Yeah, his his talking to himself isn't so much fourth wall breaking as literally talking to himself. Um, I think that's the difference is it's similar in that respect, except that he doesn't actually know there's anything out there where Deadpool knows that we're out here. Does that make sense? Probably doesn't make sense, but that's what you need to know. And that's our bi-weekly look at the industry and delivering you all of that wonderful inside knowledge. And as always, you can join in on the conversation with Hector and I and all of your other nerdy friends on the Love Thy Nerd Discord and the Love Thy Nerd community on the Book of Faces. We talk about lots of nerdy stuff in there. And we love to hear from you guys what we got right, what we got wrong, and what you loved, what you hated, because comics are ultimately all about community and that's what we hope to foster through all the things that we do here on the show but also in those wonderful places you can find us on the web of enters so go ahead and find the number for that wonderful wonderful internet page wait it's not numbers that's something different but lovethynerd.com you'll find us what up my nerds we here at love thy nerd are beyond honored that you let our podcast blast in your earbuds each week but we're also a jealous ministry who wants even more of your love and devotion. 
If you haven't made LTN Radio a part of your daily routine yet, you are missing out. Not only do you get to hear our exclusive morning shows, Church Nerds and the Macro Morning Show, before they are put on the website, but you also get radio-exclusive shows like Bible Thump with Drew Dixon, LTN Rewind, Faith and Fandom 180 with Hector Mirai, The Moment with Megan Mo Oaks, Nerd History, Nerdy Definitions, This Week in Nerdy News, and our LTN specials as well. And on top of all that, the rest of our airtime is jam-packed with the absolute best mix of Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie that is hand-curated by Love Thy Nerd just for you. Give us a listen at ltnonair.com or download the Live 365 app on your smartphone to search and favorite LTN Radio. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. Let's jump in to the main event, what folks come here to listen to. Let's talk polls. So, Hector, what got you um, reading some interesting stuff over the last couple of weeks? I didn't put it on my list because I don't think it really matched up to the kind of grandiose vibe of the rest of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, okay. Honorable mentions. Honorable mention. Um, I have genuinely enjoyed the uh, first two issues of Suicide Squad. Really? Yeah. Um, a not Harley Quinn based... Not Deadshot based Suicide Squad is very nice. Like because so who who what is the team makeup? Because now you're gonna talk me into it, dude. Get ready, this junk's bananas. So the first issue is a, a almost a team of full expendables led by um what's John Cena's character? Um, Peacemaker. 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 There we go. Yeah. So it's Peacemaker with a group of expendables breaking into Arkham to rescue Talon. Because Waller what? wants, ta- yeah, Waller wants Talon on the team, and so okay. they're breaking Talon out of Arkham. But if you've been reading any of the DC stuff lately, one of the big plot points coming out of um, Future State is that there's a day, which is someone, the Joker, air quotes, you know, whether that remains to be seen or not, the Joker set off a bomb in Arkham air quotes, ki- killing a vast majority of the Arkham inmates. Right. And that and that story has been shown across other current titles in DC as well. So that that event happened. Yeah, but that we don't happened. Who, to your point. Yeah, well, and that's the thing there. There's discussion of it maybe being Scarecrow setting it up as Joker in some of the issues I actually read this week. Um, but right. they managed to have the horrible Suicide Squad level look of sneaking into Arkham to break out Talon when that's happening. Now I actually kind of want to read it because I felt like that line of the Batman books left out a large part of the story and it's because they did. Got it. Yeah. Um, so they're in the middle of the mission when the bomb goes off. And Oh, dang. Uh, and so it literally boils down to, if I'm not mistaken, like, uh, you know, and that's just the first issue. <laughs> like, it's basically... Everybody else dies except Peacemaker and Talon. Um, I don't know that's for sure. It's been a minute. That one's like a month ago. But uh, but then they have to call in Team B. <laughs> and Team Team B is like, uh, again, they're not A-listers. But one of the crazy, crazy aspects is that Superboy is on this team. Oh, man. Like, uh, and it looks like, and I, I don't even remember which, I'm pretty sure it's Connor. Like, Superboy. Like, the prime clone um black t-shirt and jeans superboy okay and yeah so he is on the suicide squad and he's rescuing you know peacemaker and dealing with waller and you know it's it's a solid thing because like honestly one of the biggest crutches is that once the success of harley and deadshot in the comics and, and it was really almost more so the success of secret six turned suicide squad into like what it is um because a lot of what we've seen popularized in suicide squads actually secret six um but the uh honestly just the first two issues of it have been great and the fact that i hear john cena's voice reading all the peacemakers lines just makes it better (laughs) um so i've really enjoyed that but i've also really enjoyed um crime syndicate um and the two issues of Crime Syndicate have been really, really good. 
And I, I guess I need to make some adjustment in my stuff because uh, I will say it as one of the things that was kind of a eh moment for me is I, I feel like Batman's starting to wander and I feel like Flash has like straight up gone off the rails post future state. But these books sound quite good. Yeah, and, that, so and that's the I'm thing, like, like, they're not the A-list books that, you know, everybody's going to jump on, but I gotta say, like, you know, do- dollars for donuts, so to speak, I have felt very comfortable with my investment in these four books that have come out so far, the two issues of each. Now, Crime Syndicate's only six issues total, so, you know, it's not going to be, like, a long-term bank breaker, um, but I- I'm enjoying the direction of Suicide Squad, so... Uh, so... That just a note right there, though, is that is actually part of DC's on new ongoing philosophy. They're going to start doing arcs, you know, six issues, eight issues, 12 issues as part of their primary goal. They're going to still have legacy numbering ongoings, but they've they've said kind of coming out post future state that they think that's where they want to live so that they can in this concept of infinite frontiers, um, that they can tell stories anywhere in the multiverse and it's easier to do so in smaller runs because then they're not piling continuity. So we'll see how that plays out because that's that's literally the beginning of that process. And one more honorable mention because I forgot it. And I'm sorry. I'm, that is how dare you? Um, Man Bat number three was freaking well done. Um, so coming out of Future State, um, well, and Man Bat started before Future State was over. But Correct. Uh, Man Bat was really, really solid. So those three have been some of my favorites. But I'm going to actually get to the pulls that I quoted here. Um, oh, yeah, I, did put Suicide, I did put Suicide Squad I, number two, didn't I? You didn't. I added it because as you were saying it, I was like, yeah, people need to know that. <laughs> okay. I was like, I looked at the pull and I'm like, oh, look, it's there. That's just Chris being so efficient. Um, but jumping into a pull that I actually pulled um, was uh, Nightwing 78, which was such a good jumping off point. That I honestly thought it was a Nightwing number one. Ooh. Um, I thought, you know, after reading it, like literally when I was making notes on my phone about which, which books to mention, um, I had written down Nightwing number one because it did not feel like we're picking up from where we left off in the last issue. Um, to be fair, I didn't feel like most of the stuff post future state felt like we were picking up except for Batman because they did kind of sprinkle on their way through future state. Like I honestly felt reading, you know, issue what, um, of the flash was, you know, cause they're back to legacy numbering like 700 and whatever. I was like, this feels, they all felt very different to me. Um, yeah. because future state happened. So by the way, whether DC like fully owns that future state technically changed things completely. And that was their, you know, continuity reset. That totally was a continuity reset. Now that I'm on the other side of it, stop saying that it's not true. It happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and this is, which book is this in? It's in, I don't think it's in one of the books I listed, but I'll just say it. Um, Renee Montoya is commissioner now and it makes me happy. Correct. Um, right. Yep. And Batman, I think it was in Batman 107 or whatever. He said, uh, yep. he's like, I hope that you won't stop asking in, you know, all caps, the questions that need to be asked. <laughs> and I'm like, wah, wah, wah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> boo. <laughs> and she cussed at him, um, cause she was offended. Um, but no, Nightwing has been dope. Um, this first issue really felt like the best Nightwing could be both visually and there's a, there's a two page splash where he's leaping off of a building and it felt like, Oh, this is fresh future. And this is fresh hope um, for this character. Mm. Um, I will add to the fact that Tom Taylor is writing it. And if you aren't familiar just by Tom with all of his works, he's the guy who gave us the masterpiece that is um, deceased. So the way he handles characters the way he handles characters is just really well done. And Tom Taylor is quickly becoming somebody that I'll trust whatever they're writing. Um, that that's I'm, I'm really landing in that place of between how he handled deceased and how he's handling this. Like Tom Taylor's got my vote of confidence. Um, literally this gives you, cause I know that for some Nightwing is eye candy. Like, I, that never crosses my mind, but then when I talk to some female friends that are about Nightwing, they're like, oof. And I'm like, what? Um, but, you know, they give you all the the warm, fuzzy, like, man candy version of Nightwing you'd want, but also make him a good character. Um, like, he, there's a scene of him defending a puppy. Um, and he's like, 
you know, where he's like, I'd make a witty joke, but I'm disgusted. I mean, there's, there's literally a scene of him defending a puppy. Um, and there's good action. There's good dialogue. There's a really good stuff with Babs. But on a plot point, and because we are going to be a couple weeks behind by the time you ever get this, I don't think it's going to be a spoiler. But moderate information, if you if you haven't picked it up. Um, not Somewhere on the spoiler line, this is a major plot point for DC. Um that you know alfred died before the joker war yes so um alfred's like you know did his own thing based on that well uh alfred willed all of his fortune to dick oh that's an interesting plot point um and because dick was not himself you know after he wouldn't have known he wouldn't have known and they waited until the Joker war was over and Dick was himself again before they brought it to him, his last will. But like apparently Alfred, you know, had a decent fortune being Bruce's executor, but also in, he invested incredibly intelligently because he works with really smart people. Yeah, that and that seems plausible. And so at this stage in the game, Dick has more money than Bruce. Right. Because they moderately depleted Bruce Dunlop. Yeah, Bruce lost the stuff, and apparently Nightwing gained everything. Um, so now, like I think the hierarchy of Gotham finances is the Foxes, Dick, then Bruce. So hmm. it's interesting, and so that's going to be a cool plot point. Um, beyond that, uh, also real like, and I'm a I'm a hit on this, and I'll cover the other two quickly. Um, no, bro, freaking uh, the other history of the DC universe number three absolute masterpiece um uh the first two books primarily focused on african-american underdog characters of like the 70s and 80s um and i had no idea that that wasn't just going to be the the demographic that they were going to focus on there was nothing wrong with doing that um but issue number three takes a swerve and focuses on katana and gives us a historical representation of being a female Asian air quotes hero through the eighties and nineties out the gate. Like dude, they straight, like I have so much more respect for Katana as a character. Um, like it's like, you know, out the gate, there's nothing magic about my sword. My husband's soul's not in here. I talk to my sword because it's, I'm alone and I don't have anyone else to talk to. And it also freaks people out. <laughs> and she's straight they straight us like there's the only thing this is just a piece of metal but it belongs to me and no one else will have it i mean it's just like oh and so like the book it just really follows the fact that she was straight up just an assassin who was mad at the world and was killing people because it felt good um to the point where batman kind of like rescued her and then the the paternalistic um misogynistic attitude of the outsiders followed by batman you know batman and the outsiders like we're not your opening act and like the bitterness that apparently only resided in her about that um that the other team rest of the team was like cool we're with batman and she's like why am i an and <laughs> and uh but it dealt with a lot of her redemption arc of like you know because i did not know the story of gabriella that's in you know um young justice yeah, like, did you see Young Justice season three or four or whatever the Night. most recent one was? It's three. I don't think I finished it. Okay. Well, I didn't realize that the whole Gabriella arc that's in there with Violet and Gabriella straight up came out of you know the Outsiders era comics, um, and that one of the main plot points is that Katana was the one who raised her and cared for her, um, and that Batman put Katana over that character. Not for that character's sake, but to actually redeem Katana. So there, it's this beautiful story about that, about being an Asian woman dealing with that. But then, bro, they swing hard and they actually uh, give a strong history of like uh, what it was like to live as an Asian American uh, post-World War II and dealing with that stuff. There's actually some panels where she visits the internment camps, like the remnants of them, and... Um, and Todd Turner and I were talking on the Love Thy Nerd page about the fact that their you know, comics are educating 
uh, a lot of people about stuff they didn't know was happening that, it, you know, it took things like um, Watchmen to the at least the TV series to bring out the stuff that happened in Tulsa um, that for me, I learned about Emmett Till from Doctor Who. Um, and, you know, there's just different things that we're seeing. And, you know, with this stuff, it really is, you know, there are going to be people that are going to pick up this comic book, maybe that didn't know the internment camps existed. Um, yeah, it's, and, it's wild to consider what's being taught, what isn't being taught and where people pick stuff up. And then it can be based on even where you grew up that where I was grew up in new England. So we were taught a lot of things different than What's, folks in the South and vice versa that it's, it is fascinating to see what people are taught or not taught about American history. Well, I live on the the like butt crack of North Carolina. Like I am, I am right. I'm, I'm like 14 miles from the South Carolina border. Dillon, South Carolina is approximately 20 minutes from my house and my whole region, uh, you know, of North Carolina, when you were getting to like U S history and stuff, you know, it was Confederacy, bad union. Good. This is about slavery, et cetera. Fighting for freedom. That's what was taught in my schools. In Dillon, South Carolina, in the same time frame, 20 miles away, um, the Union were oppressors. It was never about slavery. It was all about states' rights. And the Union, the in the Confederacy were the good guys. Literally 20 miles apart. Um, and so when we're actually talking states and cultures and stuff like that, it's it's not surprising. But like that's one of the things this book actually dealt with is shining a light on some of those things but it also like dude this book covered the death of superman and uh what that did to the hero community and the fact that um bro <laughs> they went swinging with it um the fact that uh yeah we are we we loved a lot of what superman was but we also hated a lot of what he represented even if he didn't want to that it was the uh, ultra conservative American patriot that always got the glory and the rest of us were left down in the dust. Like, I mean, there was some snark and bitter in there. Um, and justifiably, but, but then it and literally it's like, and no one actually cared when Batman got his back broken. Like it straight up says that it's like anybody who met Batman knew that that wasn't going to stop him. It's like, nobody cared. Um, but like just for being, uh, like, they make Katana a million times cooler and more hardcore as a character in this book, while also shining a solid light on Asian culture. Um, and but it also talks about it's very Watchmeny, and just like the other two books, and it talks about um, Asian hate crimes that had happened uh, in the generations in the eight, the sixties through the nineties. So it's. There's a lot. Um, I, I I think that as far as like the tone and the delivery, this was the best of the three so far. So yeah, uh, find this one. Um, quickly, uh, Noctera number two, just as dope as Noctera no number one, if not more dope. <laughs> um, the it's it's, it's a, dope. The electric boogaloo. It's dope too. The electric boogaloo. Um, it literally is a fun horror action adventure, but they get deeper and darker with the dialogue. And I literally, I, I am down for this ride. Um, but if you like horror, uh, a quiet place, 30 days of night, anything like that, jump on this. Plus Scott Snyder is actually doing some of his best stuff that I've seen in a long time. Um, this, these two issues are better than the last two years of Scott Snyder at DC. Hmm. Um, that's, so there's that. That is a that's a heck of an endorsement. Um, then uh, I'm also going to throw out Firefly brand new verse number one. Um, if you've heard me, I am a diehard brown coat. One of my children are named after Firefly character, but the reality is I have not enjoyed the ongoing series of Boom for a hot minute. Um, Chris has suffered along. Um, yeah, I, I technically suffered more because I keep reading it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but with that being said, this was a breath of fresh air, and it was more enjoyable than the latter portions of stuff that I had read in the ongoing verse. But I think for me, you know, I because a lot of the ongoing verse was stuff that was supposed to have happened in between the show and the movie, and we had, we had already had a pretty extensive comic book verse of that, so it didn't it didn't like that that stuff was cool until it started going way weird um on this we actually get a future 
state, so to speak, of Firefly. And I love that. And one of the main reasons I love that is if you've read the comics from, you know, even other publishers, um, by canon standards of comic books, Zoe was pregnant uh, when Wash died. And so Zoe had a baby named Emma, which is Wash's child. And in this future state uh, world of Firefly, we actually get teenage Emma who is helping her mom pilot Serenity. And many of the crew of Serenity are gone. Um, but we actually, you know, they're getting mentioned and some of that thing is going to be like, where are we going to see them? Stuff like that. So I'm a little more intrigued with this one than I have been with the other ones. And I'm done. Go. Wait. Oh, yeah, we got number no. ones. We'll get that later. So, yep. I'm good. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, yeah, I didn't include it on my list because I felt like it was a slow setup, but I enjoyed seeing that there are groundings in stuff that we know but at the same time will most likely give us new stories in the same space that i've seen a lot of people talking about where nostalgia works and doesn't work in pop culture lately or just in general and one of the things i've seen people say and i tend to agree with is don't give me a remake give me something that is technically new but grounded in the thing that i know love and understand like because the then technically Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff um, because it gives you that thing to understand what's happening. No one's quote unquote stealing your childhood because they redid the thing um, and you're getting new stories because that's the thing. That's why I love the expanded um, Star Wars universe is that we're getting the pieces of the story that was never told. And people are like, oh, but it's so boring because it's part of the Skywalker saga. And it's like, yeah, but some of these stories literally have nothing to do with what you already know, but are definitely taking place in the same time period, which means you understand the galaxy around it, but it's all brand new stuff. And occasionally people you've heard of show up <laughs> um, that there just seems to be a lot of power in that use of nostalgia in that way. And I'm here for it. So, yeah. So what did I pull? Um, so I'm going to do that weird thing of one of the things that is on my list is going to be a book that made me go, what, why? So, you have all heard Hector and I speak wonderful things about Amazing Spider-Man for what, like the last 20 issues? Because I think Sin Eater start, started in the 40s somewhere and we're at 63 now. Um, and both of us went, we were not reading Spider-Man because Spider-Man is another Marvel book where there's like 17 spider titles on the shelves at any given moment. And that makes my head hurt. And I tend to not like giving Marvel my money when they do that. But Hector was like, no, bro, this is really good. You should read it. And I agreed. And then issues 62 and 63 came out and Chris won't be pulling it anymore <laughs> because what was so good for 20 straight issues, they like jumped off the bandwagon and took a hard left turn, did a 180, did something. And the new arc is literally the same creative team, but does not feel anything like the last 20 books. <laughs> and that bums me out in a lot of ways. So... I guess it just depends what people look for in Spider-Man. Like, if you're looking for kind of a really goofy off-the-wall tale, then you should pick it up at 62 and, and continue reading. That they're, they're done with the deep stuff, and they're back to um, Peter doing kind of wacky things. If you were in it for growth and the stories that came before it, then you should read the Sin Eater arc into up to this point that we've talked about. So I said that today just to give you both kind of an idea of where Spider-Man is and that as much as we tell people what's going on, that sometimes there are jumping off points. And for me, this was a jumping off point. <laughs> um, I'm going to say a bunch of books that I've said before, because same thing that the part two and the part threes of some of these books have just been going great. But um, Young Hellboy number two came out in the last couple weeks, and it continues to be absolutely delightful tale about the young version of delightful of of Hellboy. And I think that the the art is pretty great. Like it has that Hellboy style, but also feels kind of young adult children's bookish. And it's written at a lower level. It's designed to be a young Hellboy story, but wow, it's. It's really good. It gives me Hellboy, but also in this like young innocence type feel vibe to it that is about to go straight Hellboy by the looks of it by issue three and four because they are definitely dipping back into the high. In case you forgot, this is a Hellboy book and there's going to be witches, occult and crazy things that involve blood. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, don't forget you're reading a Hellboy book. Um, but it's been fun. 
and I kind of dig the the approach, and it's been a fun ride. But I Hellboy is one of my favorite characters in that space, so it probably has something to do with why I found it so delightful. Um, Matt Kent and his Fear Case um, book that I've been telling you all about. It's only going to be four issues, um, from what I recall. And issue three came out, and so this continuation of this box that nobody knows what's in it, but very bad things happen to people that have it in their possession. And the Secret Service is on their journey of finding said case to find out what's in the box um, continues. And it's still just a really messed up, but very pretty book. And I don't want to, I will stop giving away plot points because three gives like, I think the hook for the story in it and it's not what I thought it's really clever which is going to make the conclusion of it I think make everything make more sense so if you've been following me kind of pitching this really obscure book um, hop on it or wait for it to hit trade when it wraps up next month because I'm hoping he closes out as well as they've set the thing up and so far the setup is pretty great and finally because it was equally delightful, I finally got a chance to read Orcs number two, which puts me possibly three to four weeks behind on that book. But it's not important because I read it. And this was the young adult children's book from Kaboom um, that is kind of a fantasy tale, but from the orcs side of the story. Because in fantasy, D&D, etc., orcs are typically not the good guys. They're usually the quote unquote bad guys. But this is taking that different approach. And... It's still delightfully beautiful. It's a fun romp through the fantasy forests of of orc problems. And I'm not sorry for it. So if you're looking for something that is a much lighter read, but is pretty look at and has some of that fantasy D&D type stuff that you love, orcs is a great place to be. It's Mo from the Back Row Morning Show, and I've got five random facts for you. The world's longest french fry is 34 inches long. Naval tradition declares submarines be called boats, not ships. Walt Disney started sketching regularly when he was just four years old. Cherries are a member of the Rose family, as are pears, plums, apples, and raspberries. There are ice caves in Iceland that have hot springs. And one teaspoon of a neutron star would weigh six billion tons. It was six facts. (laughs) You get a bonus fact on your bonus facts. Yo, this is Exhibit, and we heard you like facts, so we put a bonus fact on your bonus facts. For more fun facts and hilarious nonsense, tune in to the Back Row Morning Show Monday through Thursday at 7 a.m. and again at 9 a.m. Central here on LTN Radio. So, Hector, as we wrap them all up for this week, let's talk number ones. So what did you have for your go-to number one for the last month? Dude, a better a bill number one was really good. Um, had a strong artwork vibe of Wonder Woman Dead Earth as far as artistic style. Um, oh, interesting. But, yeah, I mean, it, it very much carries that guttural um gritty battle vibe um but literally it's emotional it's better a bill bill dealing with the fact that he's overshadowed by thor that every time he tries to actually accomplish something or get glory for himself thor swoops in and takes it away from him and that he's lonely and hurting and looking for love and um and i i don't know that i i don't know a lot of better a bill story honestly um but apparently with Stormbreaker, his old hammer, he had the ability to turn into a human form at night. Um, oh, and interesting. Thor, and Thor broke his hammer and didn't replace it. Um, and so he's Sounds lost like the ability. Yeah. Um, Th- Thor was very uh, bro Thor in this. Um, but uh, he's like Lady Sif flirts with Betteray Bill and tries to... Uh, get real familiar with him and then when she realizes oh you can't turn into a human you're too ugly to be with like this dude i'm like it broke my heart um like you know the whole scene at the end of avengers age of ultron where hulk just sits in the plane and he's all broken and sad and flying away with his shame it's that um 
And the fact that I didn't have a lifetime's worth of backstory with Dick's character and had a lot of feels reading this issue, I, I'm in it. I'm in it for wherever this goes. So that's my number one. What about you? So I went full indie because reasons. Um, but Geiger number one came out um, from Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. And um, I'm in it that you're introduced to a world that's on the brink of getting nuked. It gets nuked <laughs> and the story kind of centers on this one family um and they tell you about the main character and that you know he's known for being a family man and everything and basically you know they they're watching the news and the bombs are in the air kind of thing and they've got a fallout shelter so they go for it but on their way like their neighbors show up and like shoot them in the leg and they're like cool we're taking your your shelter because we were lazy and we got these here guns um and so there's this moment of him, you know, telling his family, they're like, you know, let me die. Close the door so the crazy people don't kill you. Um, and they're like, no. And he's like, no, seriously, do the thing. And so the bombs hit and they flash forward to the future of people wandering around the wastelands uh, in radioactive suits because well, we done got nuked. And talking about the stories of the guy that glows at night wandering the hillsides. And it shouldn't take a Sherlock Holmes genius to figure out who that dude is. <laughs> um, and pretty much at the end of the book, you get introduced to him that he survived somehow and he definitely glows. <laughs> um, and the story is left in the setup at the door of his bomb shelter, which he's been protecting, assuming that his family is still alive inside. We don't really know one way or another, but that. Because the bombs fell, they know that they can't come out because of the levels of radiation and all that crazy stuff, but he's still alive. And there goes the story. So I'm in because the art is beautiful. Um, and it's been the dialogue and everything is pretty solid in the first issue. And it's mostly, OK, I want I want to see what happened because I figure it being an image book and being John's and the rest of them that it's not simply going to be, oh, the time goes by and he gets to reunite with his family. Like something crazy is going on on the other side of that door. That That's my call. Um, so, yep. Geiger, number one image. If you can find it, because per the usual, it got hyped pretty big. And I think it's going for stupid amounts of money on the secondary market already. But give that a week. People get over it. Um, you should be able to find copies here and there. I got the last one at my shop almost a few days after day. So just shop around. You'll find it. So, yeah, that was my number one. Those were our polls. And that's it for us here at the Polis Podcast. Episode 51 is in the books and now in your ears. Uh, but we couldn't possibly do this alone. As many of you know, we take this epic journey of podcasts and fandom with lots of other amazing podcasts that are a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. So be sure to visit lovethynerd.com for more info, previous episodes, and maybe to find yourself a new show to add to your routine. Hector and I just really want to thank you for choosing us as your primary comic book knowledge factory on a near weekly basis. So don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on your favorite podcasting app of choice. We're on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and so many more. So thanks for listening. And remember, kids, read more comics. Seven continents, the game of risk.